After hosting Jared Wall on episode 662, I have decided to become an affiliate for the Hemp Spot. That's THC Hemp Spot. He is a Delta 8 dealer and it is legal in 40 states. If you go to thchemspot.com, you can find out if it is legal in one of yours or you can go to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash hempspot all one word. There's a direct link there. And if you decide to buy and you enter promo code Pete, you get 15% off. Thank you. I want to welcome everyone back to the Pete Quinone show returning to my show when it was formerly the free man beyond the wall. <laughs> when it was free man beyond the wall, James was here a few times. James Corbett, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right. Thanks for having me back on. <laughs> Another thing, it's evening for me, morning for you. So, <laughs> how I'm is Japan? Just awake. So, how let's is do Japan? It. Sorry, how is Japan. How's Japan oh, doing? Ah, uh, it's all right. Um, I, I, I guess the the thing that most people want to know is, you know, what it's what what's it been like here through the last couple of years of craziness. And as I always say, it's been a lot worse in other places. Um, there's no mask mandates or vaccine mandates or those sorts of things here. Um, but unfortunately, Japan being Japan, a lot of people have voluntarily chosen to comply because it's still a very much top-down feudal society, essentially. So unfortunately, there's still all of that compliance, but at any rate, it isn't legal in nature. Yeah, I talked to Ryan Dawson last week, and one thing he was complaining about was just how the still the medical bureaucracy, like he had to take his son two days in a row to the doctor and like the second day they wouldn't let him in until they saw like the medical shots again you need to see and every and he's just like uh uh but mm. i asked you to come on because you had done a one of your q a's recently your questions for corbett and it, you were talking about the trans what you think the trans agenda means so um I believe like it's coming to a head here, uh, especially with the parental rights and education bill in Florida. Um, I think that's making it clear to even normie cons that there's a political agenda uh, being carried out and education as well as entertainment. It's going through there. And I know that you're in Japan. You're probably not dealing with this on a normal basis, but you know, or even seeing this, having this pushed down your throat like we are. But as you look back across the lake, um, what's your take on what you're seeing here? Well, actually, I will note parenthetically that yesterday or two days ago, I saw in the newswires here in Japan, they have this um, tourism princess thing for in uh, in Nara in in Japan, which is meant to be, I guess. Uh, some 18, 19, 20-year-old-ish, traditionally a beautiful young woman who has to be single, <laughs> is pr promoted as a tourism princess for this region of Japan and whatever, they welcome people to the region? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it means. But I just saw the news story is that, well, now they're saying there's no longer the requirement that you have to be single. But also, you don't have to be a girl anymore. You could be a boy princess, I guess. I don't know. So who knows? I'm sure some of the uh, some of whatever is happening over in the states is leaking across the uh, the Pacific, but not to the extent that I, I see it coming through the newswires. At any rate, um, so uh, my my take on this is to immediately go to the bigger picture, which I think you hinted at there, because as you say, even the sleepiest of the sleepy, even the normiest of the normies, understand at this point that this is not some sort of spontaneous grassroots social justice movement that just came from the people. This is being pushed as a political agenda. When you start to see major corporations starting to line up and take sides on these things that have nothing to do ostensibly with their core mission, whatever that may be, whatever the industry they happen to be in, but suddenly Gillette producing you know, commercials about masculinity and stuff like this. What's going on here? This is clearly political in nature, just like Black Lives Matter got co-opted. Um, uh, again, it had nothing to do with the fact that Nike loves black people. It has to do with the fact that this is, there is some sort of deeper uh, cultural slash political slash social agenda that is clearly in the interest of a greater oligarchical 
um, movement that is that is being synthetically created and pushed on the people. So what is this about? And my mind immediately goes to not just what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day or next month, but what what is this going to look like in 10 years time, in 20 years time? Where is this ultimately leading? Because it doesn't stop here. If this is the slippery slope, what is the slope leading us towards? And I ad- identify that in the the sort of the basic level of this the gender fluidity everything is every everyone is everything whatever you want to be in whatever moment to break down any form of categorization or classification to ultimately get at what was re- re- uh, revealed in a bizarre and very interesting white paper from a Canadian government think tank a couple of years ago called Explore, Exploring Biodigital Convergence. I believe that was the title. Anyway, it's linked up in that questions for Corbett that we're referring to, um, where they said that ultimately the distinction between organic and synthetic matter and life will start to break down. This will be the breakdown of vitalism. Vitalism being the philosophical idea that there is a distinction, there is a fundamental distinction between life and non-life, living and non-living entities. That's going to break down. I mean, is your computer alive? Well, your, your desktop doesn't look like a living being, but as we start to make them into cuddly, cute, playful little dog robots or or sexy robots or whatever, we're going to start to lose that distinction between living and non-living. And ultimately, when we start embedding all this, these devices in our bodies, what are we? Are we really human? Oh, we're cyborgs. So um, this is where it's ultimately heading. I think the trans agenda is ultimately, at the bottom line, is the transhumanist agenda. And there are a lot of different steps along the way and different philosophical implications of that. But at least that's where I situate what this is really about. Do you think that that has anything to do with like the depopulation agenda as well? Because I've I've looked at this and it's like, well, these people can't reproduce. And it seems like they want your children to be their children. So they can't have their own, they're not going to have their own kids. I'm going to turn your kids to look like me because everybody wants, you know, that's why uh, people have kids. They want a little version of them running around. So you have all these people like, I mean, I don't remember a male kindergarten teacher when I was in school. That would have been weird. And now they have gay male kindergarten teachers who want to talk about their weekends. This seems like this seems like an agenda of not only that, but to like it would be a start towards depopulation where you don't have to start putting bullets in people's heads. Right. Yeah. So in that context, yeah, you're framing it sort of like the, the grooming culture that is clearly a part of this. And I think that is a part of this. But that to me is looking at the low level foot soldiers that mean nothing to the ultimate people who are puppeteering this agenda and are just the expendable parts of this agenda. Yes, there is, I suppose, that depopulation aspect of it. But I don't I don't see this as this great push to make everybody into trans and th- thus to depopulate the world. I don't think that's the real base level of this. Um, I, I would think there's there's strata of people who are forwarding this agenda. And as the, the sort of bottom level foot soldiers that we see are the uh, libs of TikTok type of, you know, male kindergarten teachers and what have you. Um, that get paraded in front of the public. The the strata above that, I would say, would be the 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 globalist super gopovers of uh, I, I would have said Ray Kurzweil would have been the sort of the obvious proponent of this back a couple of decades ago when the singularity and all of the stuff that he was talking about still sounded sci-fi ish enough that he sort of seemed like the cutting edge. Today, I would say probably the the person that most people would understand in that context would be a Yuval Noah Harari, the public intellectual who's going around on the the in the World Economic Forum circuit and talking, giving these talks about humans being hackable animals and there is no free will and all these silly religious superstitions are going away and we're replacing it with this new technology that will be able to program human beings and all of this. And he's sort of warning about it, but you know, in the same way that an Aldous Huxley was warning about Brave New World. Yeah, sure, Aldous. Um, so I think there's that that level of it in which there I think there are true believers of this as a sort of a religious movement or at least a religious movement for the the for the non-religious. Um, it's it's sort of a supplement for the the religious um, 
the religious impulse that has been drummed out of people over the course of the past century or two, certainly in the Western world, what do we replace that hole in the human experience with? Well, we'll replace it with this, in, in actually in some cases, literal new religion of worshiping the AI Godhead, the way of the future, which is the new church that has been set up to get in, get get ahead of the curve and start worshiping the AI Godhead that we know is coming so that when the AI, you know, takes over the planet, they'll, they'll keep us around. You know, we got to get on their good side before they exist, right? Um, so th there is an actual, like, literal manifestation of a religious urge that is going on here and is often framed in that way. But if people really look at the Yuval Hararis or people like that, he is saying absolutely nothing fundamentally new that wasn't being said by, say, a B.F. Skinner half a century plus ago. It it's the exact same sort of behavioral... Um, uh, humans are hackable animals. They are just, you know, behavior machines that can be programmed this way or that. This is a, this is not a new idea. It's just that it's more sort of technologically advanced now, but it's the same old canard that's been raised for a long time. And just like with a Harari or a Kurzweil or a Skinner or however far back you want to take this, it always goes back to breaking down the family unit. Uh, that seems to be the the fundamental thing that this ideology is constantly aiming at. We have to separate parents from children. We have to take communal responsibility for raising children. And it's the community that does it. Therefore, we all have a say. Therefore, we have to break these familial bonds. That's where the real tyranny happens is within families. And, and it always seems to go back to that. Now, as I say, that's, I think, the level above the foot, foot soldiers of sure. this agenda. But I think there's a level above that, too. Because at, a, a Kurzweil, a Harari, whatever. These people are dependent on the people who are actually paying their bills. These are not people who are independently, you know, uh, in the positions they're in because they're just so, so brilliant and they're creating so much. No, they have been funded and put in those positions by the people who are really stewarding the agenda who, I don't know, I don't have access to the, the level above the billionaire crowd. I don't know. But it really strikes me as unlikely that they truly believe in this in some sort of religious sense or that this is some deeper motivation. I think this is ultimately about the ultimate form of control, not just control over governance of, of nation states or governance of the planet, but literally control over the human species uh, at the most basic level. I think that's ultimately what this real long-term agenda is about. Okay, so you talked about how they're looking for like some kind of this transhumanist agenda, the transhuman become a better human kind of thing. And these people you're talking about, the ones that are below whoever is up there and we don't know what they, what they want is I assume that they think that that's for them. And then we'll just be like cattle. If that's for them, like the Kurzweil's and the, you know, the people who are being funded, is it for the people above that or, is that some yeah. way to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need... Uh, so the, the management class is the class mm -hmm. at the Davos level of those types of people who go around to these conferences and talk to each other and pat each other on the back about how great and smart they are and how much they deserve to rule over everybody. And we're, you know, this is what it's about. And at that level, how do you control that management class who, who are, in many cases, millionaires, billionaires, whatever, their material needs are well taken care of. They do have power and influence over various agendas. How do you control them? You control them at an ideological level. And uh, you, when you actually examine the psychology of someone like Kurzweil, this guy is, is absolutely nuts. He is off his rocker. It literally, truly believes. I, I don't think that's a put on. I think he truly believes he's going to live forever by uploading his consciousness to a computer. And that's clearly a motivation of him. When you watch the documentaries about him and whatever, oh, you know, he lost his father and he's not going to let it happen to him. So he takes 79 different nootropic whatever every day in order to try to maintain his physical body until the point that he can upload his consciousness because he knows it's just around the corner, man. Um, I think I think those people are literally do, do actually believe in this. I, I would imagine that the people who are funding these people don't necessarily need to believe that this is actually going to happen. You're really going to upload your consciousness and it's going to be the, you know, you're going to live forever, guys. Um, that, but it, it is a convenient motiva motivation to get those types of people on board with this agenda. 
Um, but I think that also speaks to the sort of mis the, the sort of poo-pooing dismissal of this entire push that some people have that, you know, AI is just a bunch of malarkey and baloney and it's not going to happen. And in by that rhetorical maneuver, sort of diffusing the entire, oh, we don't even have to think about this transhumanist push. It doesn't matter because it's not going to work. Uh, again, that's assuming that ultimately the people who really are stewarding this agenda genuinely believe in it as anything other than a tool of control. It's also in a in a kind of ironic way, taking a, a computerish binary one or zero kind of position on this, that either it works or it does not work. And it, since it does not work, ah, it doesn't matter. No, 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 it does matter. And there and it, it may not work perfectly. And I don't I don't think we're going to upload our consciousness and live forever in machines or whatever, but they're gonna you better believe they're already implanting the brain chips and other types of technologies that are becoming more invasive and will more and more start to direct your life. So I think everyone has an interest in this agenda, whether they know it or not. I think it's really interesting. You know, you talk about programmability and if you look over the last two years, you really they have a test case and you could look at, of course, COVID and you can look at people's reactions to the 2020 riots. Um, look at how people reacted to the election, which I believe was stolen. I don't care what, uh, you know, or the Kyle Rittenhouse thing, how like journalists thought he killed black people. And they could just look at this and they can go. I mean, I don't, I don't know how much further they think they can go with their programmability. Look at Ukraine. This is, I mean, they've already won. So it's like, what, how they don't even really have to go that much further. And so now you're seeing like all this, it seems like all the trans stuff that they're putting out, putting on TikTok and you know, really putting in your face in the last couple months is just a perfect progression from what's happened in the last two years. Absolutely. And let's underline and underscore the fundamental point that you're making here, which is that there has been admittedly a psychological operation that has been waged against the public for the past two years. Everyone can identify that through whatever particular region you happen to be living in. The obvious example that springs to mind for me is one that I've talked about several times was the spy B board in uh, the UK which was the uh, Scientific Panel for Influenza Behavior, blah, 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 whatever the S SPIB stands for, um, which is a an advisory panel to the SAGE group, which advises the UK government on its um, actions in this medical emergency that was admittedly, admittedly uh, encouraging and advising the UK government on how to increase the sense of fear amongst the public about COVID-19 in order to increase compliance with medical dictates. Um, this is an ongoing medical psychological experiment that has been uh, waged and has already been operationalized against the public. And uh, it's taken so many different forms. One, another example that springs to mind a couple of years ago, there were the documents that came out about how, uh, I, uh, I'm not going to remember which uh, PR campaign, uh, PR uh, firm it was, but there was a P PR firm hired by the WHO in order to recruit celebrities to, uh, to express you know, their one, their compliance with medical procedures. And it was the same PR firm that ran the Naira babies from incubators story back in the nineties. No, uh, Hill, Knowlton Hill. I'm going to forget the name, but anyway, people can look that up. Um, so absolutely. This is all part of the, the ongoing psychological operation. But I think the dream of the technocrats is that, man, you know, we have to spend all this money and all this time and control every single media outlet and sort of shove it in people's face and shove it down their throats in order to get the kind of compliance we want. Wouldn't it be so much easier if we could just flip a switch and have, have it beamed into people's heads? And however, literally or metaphorically, that is meant. I think that is ultimately the point of where this is going. It's literally beamed into their hands. Yeah, it's being there into you go. our hands every and, day. And exactly. And let's break the conditioning that we have been placed under that, uh, of course, humans always tend to accept whatever is their current reality, that is reality. And anything further than that, ah, you're a crazy conspiracy, whatever. We know where this technology is going. 
oh, it's so inconvenient. I got to carry this phone around at all times. And I, oh, I forgot it at home. I got to go back. Oh, uh, if only you could put that in my in my head. If only you could just implant it in my arm. So it's always there with me. We know it is going there. We know even in the publicly available Neuralink and whatever, we know that these types of technologies already exist. The only barrier right now is a psychological barrier a lot of people have with the ickiness factor. I don't know if I want to put that in my skin. Once they can break through that conditioning, it's already there. We are on the cusp of losing any semblance of a connection to Homo sapiens. We are going to be the hackable animals that the Yuval Hararis dream about um, in the near future. Um, and again, I'm not saying this is necessarily going to be perfect technology that's going to work perfectly, but I don't think it needs to. I think it just has to be slightly more efficient than the propaganda methods they currently employ. Yeah, I can't tell you how much, like, in, especially in the last year, it's become. I needed to find, have more in real life friends. Yeah. I just needed to get offline and, you know, and have people to go to lunch with, have people to have a drink with, have people to, I mean, it's just, it's so tempting. I know people who their whole life is online. And if they, if there's, if something happens where they start getting attacked on Twitter or Facebook, it's literally as if somebody was banging down their doors. Yeah. It's just yeah. amazing. And I, I can relate to that in the sense that uh, I, I resisted getting on Twitter for many years. I got on in 2011. Um, so I, I, most of the people that I, I work with and talk to, they were already on Twitter for years. I got on in 2011 and by 2017, I think, because when I got off. And um, by that point, I had, I had already experienced what I see everyone go through on that platform, which is the, you know, yeah, okay, it's kind of accessible, but I need it. I need it to get the headlines, man. I'll never know what's happening. Fear of missing out. Oh, no. what? And everyone thinks that the conversation that is happening on Twitter is, oh, so important. <laughs> once you break it and once you're off, you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe I ever even cared what was happening. But it's I, I get it. It gets you and it gets into you and you start thinking that that is somehow reflective of reality and replace Twitter with whatever, you know, crack um, uh, mm -hmm. supplement people use these days, Reddit or Insta or whatever. I don't know. Uh, gladly, I don't know. <laughs> but I know there are those platforms out there that people invest their entire identity in and it becomes a real thing. And, and you can dismiss that and poo poo it to a certain extent. But at a certain point, it does start to overtake reality. Um, you can look at the younger generation coming up and saying, you know, you guys don't get it. You don't know what real human interaction is like. Well, when you're in this system where the, the all of the interactions are taking place in this online environment and that becomes your social milieu, it starts to become reality. It's a self-manifesting reality that... Uh, yeah, I hope more people do break out of it. But uh, at, until a critical mass breaks out of that conditioning and that reality, then you're going to be you are going to be the uh, the, the the one left out um, in one way or another from this. So it isn't I, I know it isn't as simple as simply telling people, OK, just ditch your phone. <laughs> OK, I, yes, yes, you should. But most people aren't going to do that. So how do we how do we effectively combat this transhuman agenda that is really the nut that we we need to crack. You almost have to want to. You almost have to want to. You, at and the very least, have to understand what this yeah. agenda is, why it's coming about, where it's taking us. And I have no doubt that if people were shown, you know, 20 years down the line of this agenda, what it looks like, most people would be horrified. But it's never presented in that way. It's always just one little step at a time. Can you imagine going back 10 years ago and saying, no, these phones, these iPads, no, stop it. You're, don't do this. You're going down the wrong path. You would be a stark raving lunatic. It's just a phone. Who cares? And that really goes to self-awareness. Um, yeah, I've, I like Ted Kaczynski's manifesto. I, I get a lot out of it uh, every time I read it. And when he talks about the power process and how, and surrogate activities and how people are just trying to fill this void. You know, I've told people, I'm like, we don't have to go back to the Bronze Age. You just have to be aware of it. I mean, I I know people where I like watch like 
it's there right there in Kaczynski's manifesto. They're like the picture of it and everything. And I'm just like, you just have to have self-awareness and then you have to tell these people. And when you tell somebody who's living their life online that, and seems very miserable that they just really need to get offline or just realize exactly what it is, you may as well be telling a crack addict they can't have crack. Yeah. No, I, exactly. I, th- that isn't that isn't just an analogy. There is there is a genuine there is a genuine connection to those. It is it is an addiction. And of course, again, we can point to the what we already know about this. Not only the science of the dopamine hits and the the uh, the, the science of uh, uh, what, what do they call it? Not random rewards, but the the interrupted reward schedule and and the feeds and all this, which of course was all pioneered by the behavioral uh, psychologists like Skinner, literally teaching the pigeons to turn around counterclockwise in order to receive their pellet or whatever. Um, that th- that Skinner box idea was literalized and actively uh, engineered into existence by the Facebook and Twitter programmers who now admit that is exactly what they were doing. They were using cognitive science to develop systems that would uh, would actually make people addicted. They knew what they were doing. This was not just some random happenstance of, of how this came about. So it is important to understand. And we should be dealing it uh, with it in the same way that we deal with addictions. It isn't, uh, again, to say that, you know, well, because some people are alcoholics, we should ban all alcohol. Um, no, but we should have ways of dealing with and treating people who are alcoholics in the same way we need ways of dealing with and treating people who are addicted to this increasingly virtual world. One thing you brought up earlier, you talked about how it, the family, it, it, they just want to break down that family hierarchy, the family structure. When you look back in your studies, when did this be? When did this become a big thing to you that they where they were like, we need to go after the families? Do you think it was bringing the Prussian school system over here? What, where do you think that was? You know, it's interesting. I've just been revisiting um, my work on on Skinner. So I'm, I'm definitely thinking in that context. But um, I do note that actually, if you go back through the history of utopian literature of these various utopias, going back to Sir Thomas More writing literally utopia. Um, that it's always been a part of that. It's always been about communal family. It's not a family structure. It's always about, no, it's a, the community raises the family. That is such an important part of this utopian thinking of this perfect place where everybody's happy all the time is always going back to breaking up the family structure. So there is something, I, I, I wouldn't venture to say how many millennia in the past that idea goes back to, but at the very least it's identifiable um, for centuries and centuries, and generally in socialistic communist I- ideology, it's again about attacking the family structure. So there, I think there's something, there's a very fundamental war, ideological war that's been taking place for centuries that gets masked and 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 manifests itself in different ways in different historical eras. But it's the same struggle, essentially, as to people trying to undermine the family structure. I guess the real question is then, why is the family such a threat to would-be controllers of human society who who think of us as hackable animals and we just got to find the right way to program everybody to love their servitude, as Aldous Huxley observed. Uh, why do they keep going back to breaking up the family structure on that? Because obviously that does represent some sort of bulwark against this cultural agenda of trying to shape everybody into certain slots and you you will fit this role in life there's something about the family structure that prevents that from taking place it's almost like maybe an immune system for human society but if you can wear down the immune system in some way then oh we can take over if you want to support the show head on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash support you can see all the ways you can do it including right there on the website which is the best way also patreon and subscribe star and i even have some cryptocurrency addresses listed there so head on over to freemanbeyondthewall.com forward slash support and thank you it's interesting that i've experienced that a lot too in libertarian circles and anarchist circles where they're so against hierarchy, no, no gods, no masters, you know, bumper sticker kind of stuff that they will actually even talk about 
the family as if it's an outdated concept that, that it's not important. And I'm like, I think for for anarchy to work like a hoppy and covenant community, I think family would probably be like top at the top. Is this one of the things that's keeping you grounded? Right. Yeah, family and and some sort of religious uh, adherence um, in some form, something to yeah. uh, that idea that there is there is a higher power and that we are merely manifesting certain ideas in this in this plane, but it's for a, a greater purpose. Without some sort of connection to that, um, people are infinitely malleable in the way that the you know humans are hackable animal hariris of the world dream about. Um, so uh, there, there's absolutely something to that, that fundamental kernel of an idea that that has been the resistance against the the sort of communal takeover of human society for umpteen generations. Who knows how far how far back that goes? And that's why I think they always try to supplement that with with they. Uh, it's the, the old tactic. James M. Plato at MediaMonarchy.com says this all the time. They they steal the real and sell you back the fake. And they've been trying to do that with the family structure. Um, by making the government or the government's employees your surrogate parents for eight hours a day, five days a week in the public schooling system that you go through. Uh, you know, it's it's your new family here. We'll take you out of the, the home and we'll put you in these government indoctrination camps. And they do that, I think, with religion as well. And that's why I think there really is something to this idea of the, the woke ideology, which ultimately I think is just the, the forerunner of the transhuman push there is that religious manifestation there. There is an actual religious inclination towards this. And we can identify that in the trans agenda specifically, going back to Hermaphrodite or Hermaphroditus, um, the, the Greek god who was the, uh, the offspring of Aphrodite and Hermes. And um, the story goes that he was such an incredibly beautifully handsome boy that uh, there was a, a Nida or whatever they call him, um, that tried to rape him. But more than just rape him, she wanted to become part of him. And so malicious compliance, there was a god that granted it and made her a part of Hermaphroditus. And that's where we get Hermaphrodites, so the idea of being two things. And th th so there's a deep sort of spiritual religious level to this that is manifested in different religions in different ways, but often hermaphrodites have been put in some sort of spiritual role in various religions uh, throughout human history. And uh, I think that's that's manifested in the in sort of the Western mythological uh, structure as the wedding of man and woman is meant to be that union that brings together the male and female. And that's that's the oneness that creates sort of spiritual unity. Um, but now they're trying to say, no, 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 we don't need a man and a woman. No, now you are the hermaphrodite. You are both sides of this and you can manifest it in yourself uh, just by choosing to be both things or or whatever and and breaking down any distinctions there. So there is there are deep, long uh, cultural tradition, traditions that go back thousands of years that are being mixed in here that people are but dimly aware of and can thus be, I think, more easily manipulated by because they they are ignorant of where this comes from and, and sort of the deeper mythological roots of these ideas speaking of manipulation um when you were talking about that i was thinking back to the transhuman agenda and i was thinking about covid and i think that a lot of people woke up to the fact during covid especially when the vaccines started rolling out just how much power these corporations have um especially like the the Mercs of the world, the all of these pharmaceutical companies. And I think that a lot of people could actually see that these are, they're part of the government. They're running the government. They are pushing everything forward. And then I wonder about someone like, I wonder what, like a huge corporation like Disney is playing in this trans, transgender, but transhuman agenda when you see how hard they fought the bill in Florida and now basically they are the they are one of the number one propagandists for this thing i'm wondering, are they a, are they useful idiots are they getting paid i'm wondering if there's somebody there who's pushing the whole thing uh yes well let's let's look at it this way that sort of that distinction that people 
like to make between there is a government and there are corporations and there are these international institutions. What we, I think the, the real way that we need to understand this is there is an oligarchical faction that proceeds across nation state boundaries that, that has its tentacles into, into the, into banking, obviously into corporations, into government that, that is wielding its sword in a broader way for a broader agenda. Crazy conspiracy theory, right? Uh, go read Superclass by David Rothkopf. He's essentially bragging about that that and being part of that superclass. You know, well, we can set our agendas across transnational boundaries and all of this. And we're we're in also we're in industry and we're in banking and some are in governments, non-governmental organizations. It is an oligarchy that is attempting to consolidate control over the human population. And for anyone for whom that sounds like conspiracy theorizing, you are a historical ignoramus. You have not studied history. That has been the defining trend of human society for going back thousands of years. There have always been an oligarchical elite trying to rule over as many people as possible. That oligarchy takes different forms. It manifests in different ways, but it always is, is, is trying to do the same thing that we see happening right now. So it, look at Disney. Um, I haven't I haven't done the search, but I'm gonna I'm gonna just throw it out there. I'm gonna bet, for example, the easiest way to see this agenda in play today. Look for oh I don't know, say BlackRock. What share of how many shares of Disney does BlackRock own? And you will find inevitably, invariably, it's some percentage point. They may be the largest single shareholder of Disney. I don't know, but again, I guarantee it'll always come back to these same few. Uh, multi-trillion dollar uh, asset holders um, that that wield incredible amounts of power over all these different corporations that are all totally different things, guys. They're just totally different entities. As if, as if Disney is Walt Disney, the ghost of Walt Disney is floating around there. No, it is a corporate structure that is being funded by, and is partially owned by its shareholders. And um, that, that awareness starts to bubble to the cultural service when Elon Musk does his latest PR thing. Um, but uh, for most people, most of the time, they think of these corporations as somehow, as completely discrete units, uh, instead of as part of an oligarchical complex that owns basically everything. Let's talk about oligarchs for a second then. You know, it's if you mention that there's oligarchs in the United States, it's like, no, stop, please, no. But... They want to talk about, oh, there's oligarchs in Russia. There's oligarchs in Ukraine. And you had seven oligarchs in Ukraine. And they, who, okay, I find it very hard to believe that these, like the seven Ukrainian oligarchs who got appointed over the seven different districts and everything after the election are, they're in charge. Somebody above, they have somebody above them. So it's like, how, how do we know? It's just, I suppose in a way, maybe we, uh, when we try to stratify it and, and say above and below, mm -hmm. um, perhaps that, that plays into a pyramidal uh, sort of structure that, that we have in our heads. But it, it can be, it's more complex than that insofar as there's a lot of horizontal um, whole scaffolding that holds the structure together. And so you look in the Ukrainian context, for example, look at the Biden family and the things that are completely openly admitted about Hunter Biden and his relationship to Ukrainian gas companies and what have you. Um, in that sense, it's not that I think Hunter Biden is above or below or the oligarch. It, it's more like they are they are part of a scaffolding that supports each other. And obviously the fact that uh, uh, the son of the U.S. president is involved in these business deals over in Ukraine certainly does uh, make uh, that business structure more sound against its competitors, shall we say. Um, it doesn't, it, it, it's not, I don't know how to say this. I don't think it's that there's one, the one person that's above the other in that situation. It's that they, they complement each other in ways that uh, essentially, like uh, perhaps if we want an analogy, it's the mafia system where, you know, everybody is uh, competing with each other, but they are all competing within the same the same rules of the same overall game. And there are certain defined rules and here's our turf and here's your turf and we'll come cooperate with you here. And then they war with each other and backstab here and there, but they're all playing the same game. And the real threat to that game is anyone from outside of that game that's trying to stop them from doing what they're doing. And that's why, you know, the, of course, if, 
if it means taking over the FBI, oh, we've got some dirt on Hoover. So now he'll deny that the mafia even exists. Ha ha ha. You know, of course, because it's again, it's all part of the same web and the web starts to dissolve if if one of those pieces breaks out and starts doing acting independently. That's why as long as they're all playing the same game, then yes, of course, some infighting goes on, but it, that's almost inconsequential from our perspective because we're not part of that game. I don't think I've asked you this before. What's your take on like trilaterals, World Economic Forum, Bilderberg, Chatham? We know Chatham and CFRs. It's, you know, they're not always on the same page, right? I mean, they if they were always on the same page, we'd be in a pod eating bugs right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah probably true. Um, a, a good book with a window into that question, um, The Road to 9-11 by Peter Dale Scott. Um, the early chapters of that concentrate a lot on, on some of that infighting that was going on within the, uh, certainly the U.S. foreign policy cliques uh, in the 1970s and how that manifested in sort of competing factions with competing ideas for what the U.S. should be doing in, in Afghanistan and Vietnam and places like that. And there was this clique that was fighting with that clique. And it gives you some good insight into that um, on a sort of concrete level, naming names. Oh, these people were part of this group and these people were part of that group. That, that starts to give people the understanding that I think, yes, it's not that this is one homogenous unit that is all working from one script and we will all do this and now we will all do that. That's that's cartoon stuff. No, 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 no. There are obviously many actors with their own motivations who are involved for their own reasons. But broadly speaking, they are all playing that same game. They are all united by the ideology that, hey, yeah, it's a big world and we own it. It's just, you know, who gets to sit at the table and under what conditions and who gets to run the table and that sort of thing. That's where the level of dispute takes takes uh, place. So um, the World Economic Forum, in fact, is a great example because that's one that if you had the time machine and could go back five years, even even three years, even two years, maybe, and tell people even in the independent media space, you know, the World Economic Forum, man, they're it's the big organization. They're running everything. You would be laughed at. World Economic Forum? I. I myself many times in the past have said Davos was just kind of like the uh, the the public version uh, to get all the PR and hype. That, and then they go off to Bilderberg and set real plans. But now it's like Bilderberg? I don't even, who is Bilderberg? Whatever. It's an all World Economic Forum. And that has taken place, I think, as a result of an incredibly effective, essentially advertising campaign, PR campaign by Klaus Schwab to rebrand. Uh, the, the the already existing, already ongoing agenda as the Great Reset. And obviously that was an incredibly effective rebrand because now everybody talks about the Great Reset as if as if that is the plan that all of the oligarchs are are, are, are associated with. And now, and then that starts to devolve into the game of, oh, okay, so this person spoke at Davos, so now they are part of the agenda, or this person didn't speak at Davos, so they're against the agenda, or whatever. It's It, it gets cartoonized like that. Again, I think that's essentially you have competing power factions that try to rebrand and reframe things and beget their own PR out there, both at the sort of the upper echelon level, but also for the general public. And I think World Economic Forum has, to some extent, sort of leaked down to the lower level of the, the base level propaganda. And people have recognized, you know, oh, OK, great reset. Oh, and that that's people have caught on to that. But again, that's not a new idea. That's not a new agenda. Right. So how does this play out? Talk about how you have this one group that's getting money and they're the ones putting the Kurzweil's of the world. They're putting this out there. And then somebody obviously above them, the money above them, maybe even the ideology above them. I don't know. You know, we don't know. Theoretically, what do you think the end game is for this? Do you look at stuff that's already come out like, you know, you'll own nothing and like it? Is that what is that what this is? Or is it? I mean, I'm trying yeah. to think. Of well, OK, let's just take let's just take their own pronouncements at face value, because I heard a recent speech by Yuval Harari where he was talking about um, that. Ultimately, uh, he was he was sort of pondering the the uh, the question, what is what is uh, what is the use of human beings or at least as many human beings as we have, you know, eight billion people? Do we need that in the 21st century, in the 22nd century? Like, why do we need humans if 
if we have these perfectly pro programmable human robots, essentially, that we can manipulate and control, you know, what do we do with them? What do humans do in this future techno technocratic world that we're moving into? And his response was essentially something like, well, you know, it could just be we just find the right way to uh, keep people distracted with drugs and alcohol and sex and virtual worlds. And that might be one answer to this. Okay, so you just have this sort of class of... But again, are they even worker drones? I mean, obviously the robots will be doing the worker drones in this technocratic future, worker drone stuff in this technocratic future. So we don't even need the people for that. So what really is the point of subsisting humanity? I'm not sure that the Kurzweils and Hararis and whoever even have a satisfactory answer to that question, because again, for them, I think they believe they're going to be the ones uploading their consciousness and traveling to the stars and all this stuff in their robot bodies. So I don't think they care. I think ultimately the answer is human schmumans, whatever, get rid of them. Um, so uh, again, I think a lot of that is pie in the sky and I don't think we're going to be having the uh, consciousness uploads and whatever in the way that these people may or may not genuinely believe it. Um, but uh, certainly the control and the docility the, the taming, the domestication of humanity, um, which has been going on for however many centuries, will be, I think, completed, at least in some, in some sense of that word, um, through this agenda. I think that's, that's the ultimate prize. And at the very least, I mean, even if it's a rather crude level of control, but at the very least, the ability to switch on and off people's ability to participate meaningfully in society is... That's the ultimate level of lever of control. And once you have that in place, I mean, the rest is just details, right? And so that's why I think all of this technology is ultimately aiming at that. That's why ultimately the biosecurity agenda. In fact, COVID was a historical contingency. It's not even important. It was only important as the vehicle for introducing the biosecurity agenda. The biosecurity agenda itself is not important. It's only important as a vehicle for introducing people to the vaccine passport system, which is the front edge of the wedge for ultimately the social credit system, central bank digital currency. That is what this is about. And all of that is about having that switch to be able yep. to say, uh, sorry, citizen 7321869, you have committed thought crime. We're turning you off. And you can't buy, you can't sell, you can't travel, you can't do anything. Sit there and die. That is, I think, what this is, what they are aiming for with all of this, which again, as always, okay, we know the problem, James, but what do we do about it? That's really the question about this. And am I going to somehow stop this technology from being created? Am I going to somehow derail this massive multinational corporate agenda? Not, not myself, no. But at the very least, what we have to do is understand that this agenda is happening and to do everything we it is possible to create community, as you say, increasingly importantly, in real life, community of actual human beings who can actually work together to provide for their means of subsistence themselves. Um, that's the answer that no one wants to hear because um, everyone wants this system as we are existing in right now to just continue along. But no, we'll just, we'll take the power and we'll we'll do it and we'll take over and we'll whatever, however you imagine that going, we'll vote ourselves to freedom or whatever people promote, propose. Total pie in the sky nonsense. And that's the exact lure that has been dragging humanity along for centuries towards this very point that we're arriving at. It's the old picture of Rothschild on the, the tortoise with the, the yeah. stick with the leaf and the tortoise is going after the leaf. Yeah, that's that's it. That's That's, I think, the ultimate image of all of these false hopes that are given out and dangled out in front of people to lead them directly towards the path they don't want to go on. We already saw a an example of it in your homeland with the Canadian truckers, people having their bank accounts just shut down and you can't. And how much easier is that? Someone was asking me, they're like, well, how would they do it with the electric with the um, the electronic bank currency? I'm like, you go to log in and they changed your password. I mean, how how hard is it? <laughs> Well, actually, you you just can't log in. I'm sorry. Yeah. This is an invalid. No, I mean, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, 2026, isn't it? Uh, the, all the cars are going to have to have some sort of kill switch embedded in them. So how are you going to have a convoy with, with that technology in place, let alone the CBDC, let alone everything else they're working on right now? Yeah. Uh, there, there's nothing at all that is not that you cannot see manifesting right now. 
and just using tiny, a tiny fraction of the human ability of imagination to understand where this is going. The, the big barrier, of course, for most people is the idea that there is actually a group, an oligarchical group, that actually wants to control human population. That's ridiculous. If people could break through that barrier of conditioning and just start to imagine what this technology could do when wielded in the hands of people who actively want to use it to control you, Instead of just, oh, people are just bumbling along and they mean well, but they don't understand. No, if you actually understand it in the historical context, there has always been a group of people who want to control as much of the world as possible. And now those people have the technology to do so. Once we understand that, then we can start figuring out the actual ways of non-compliance that will actually derail the agenda. But unfortunately, again, most people most of the time are just going to go along with it because they can't imagine that there are people who are actually seeking to bring that world of total control about. Most of the people I know who are reacting to it and the way they react to it is to actually go backwards, to move more remote, start growing their own food, start, you know, I mean, basically you're taking a step back from technology. You know, you're not going back to the Bronze Age, like Uncle Ted wants us to, but you're you're taking a step back, which is probably best, <laughs> probably not a bad idea at this point. If everything's I, I going certainly forward. would not dissuade anyone um, from doing that. Absolutely not. The more that we can, at, at the very least, let's just hit the pause button, guys. Maybe we just don't have to adopt the next technology that they dangle in front of our face. And oh, no, I'll be left out if I don't get it. At the very least, if we can even do that much. But then again, maybe that's maybe that's beyond our ability as human beings. Maybe we just can't resist the next technology that comes along. And if so, then maybe maybe it's already set in stone. Maybe that we are it. Let's put it this way. If we are hackable animals, then we will be hacked into this future that the oligarchs are trying to create. Right. So I guess it is a big test of that thesis. Tell everybody where they can find your work. CorbettReport.com, C-O-R-B-E-T-T report.com. And from there, you can find the links to the various socials that I use. I actually woke up a couple of weeks ago to the surprise of my Corbett Report Extras, my secondary YouTube channel, was suddenly back. No email, no message, no notification, wow. nothing. Just suddenly it was there again. And I have no idea why. I don't care. I am never, ever, ever uploading to YouTube ever again. So please do not look for me there. But at any rate, suddenly, at the very least, my secondary channel is back with all of those archives. But please don't look for me there. Just go to CorbettReport.com. That happened to me with a Twitter account once it got completely nuked. And then four months later, I like looked and there's an email and it's like, oh, your account is ba logged back into your account if you want. I'm just like, I need at least you got an email. I didn't even get that. It was so <laughs> bizarre. I don't know. Thank you very much, James. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Take care.